0: everybody. Instead of a mini episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different and present you with a copy of an interview that was done by Gregory Berg in his excellent podcast, Life on Purpose. And it's an interview of me. Many of you've asked to hear more from me. And so this is a chance for you to hear me talk a little bit more if that's really your thing. So if it is, listen on and enjoy. Also, I wanted to let you know that the One You Feed coaching program has opened back up for one week. So between now and Saturday, August 20th, if you're interested, go to oneufeednet slash coaching program, and you can get more information there. And the window does close again in a week. The last program sold out in about four days. So if it's something you're interested in, I'd jump on it now. Otherwise, I hope you have a great week, and we'll have another episode on Tuesday. Thanks, as always, for listening. Bye.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Life on Purpose. I'm your host, Greg Berg, and I'm very happy to have you with us today. A quick show note, if you like what you're hearing here, please check out the Life on Purpose website at lifeonpurposeshow.com, where you can find episode summaries, information about the show, links to past episodes, and much, much more. And if you could pop over to iTunes, we'd love a review there, as that helps the show reach many more people who are interested in living their own lives on purpose. Now, my guest today, he's the host of a weekly podcast called The One You Feed, Conversations About Creating a Life Worth Living. It's based on the parable of the two wolves. We're going to talk all about what that is today, what that means. One You Feed was recently named one of the best podcasts of 2014 by iTunes. It was also named one of the best health podcasts of all time by the Huffington Post, and it's been the number one ranked podcast in the health, philosophy, and spirituality categories, respectively. He's also been helping to build companies for the past 15 years, and has been involved in technology for longer than that. He's led major software programs for a Fortune 20 company, and he started a solar energy company called Tipping Point. He's also a musician, a passionate learner, and he loves to meet new people. We'll talk about all of that today, and much, much more, joining me via Skype from Columbus, Ohio, it's Eric Zimmer. Eric, welcome back to Life on Purpose.
0: Hi Greg. thanks for having me back.
1: Yes, very happy we have a nice crisp, clear Skype connection <laughs> yeah we uh, we tried this before a couple of weeks ago and we just uh, the technology wasn't working our, our Skype wasn't working for us. So here we are again and uh, everything sounds great and crystal clear and uh, I'm very happy about that. But I want to tell the listeners, uh, I always like to give them a little um, information up front, some context. And Eric was one of my very first guests here on Life on Purpose when I launched the show at the beginning of 2015. Uh, in fact, an episode that we taped last November, it was a roundtable that we did, the first ever Life on Purpose roundtable with Christopher Carter and Amelia uh, and Eric were guests. And uh, we did this uh, really cool, fun, little, we just sort of riffed and went around in a, in a circle, if you will, a sort of virtual online circle. And it was a great conversation. And And I met Eric at uh, Camp Good Life Project back in 2014. And uh, we're fellow musicians and we're fellow podcasters and we have a lot in common. So I'm really looking forward to diving deeper into your story, Eric. Yeah, I'm excited
0: to uh, talk with you again.
1: Cool. So this is going to be, we're going to set the table right up front, Eric. We're going to kind of knock a big one right out of the park here. But uh, the subtitle of your show, it's called Creating a Life Worth Living. That's a uh, that's a heady subtitle. Uh, how on earth do people go about doing that? In in a very uh, we'll get into the sort of specifics, but it, in a very general sense, how do you live a, a life worth living, Eric? Well,
0: I think your your show title is is pretty close, right? It's about I think it's about doing things on purpose. It's about understanding what works for you, what makes you tick, what drives satisfaction in your own life, and then purposely. Doing those sort of things and not being on autopilot all the time, which is the default state, certainly for me a lot of the time, and and I think for a lot of people I know is it's very easy for time to get away from us and, and realize that we're not really living the life that we want to be living.
1: Yeah, I've read different studies, you know, I don't know if anyone has a definitive answer for this, but different studies have cited the fact that we were on uh, sort of autopilot, as you say, or living unconsciously or on a tape loop or however you want to put it, uh, somewhere between 80 and 95% of our lives, uh, just out out of necessity, because I guess the way that humans evolved and the way that our lives are set up. We just sort of let things run on, on this tape loop that goes again and again and again. And it really does take conscious effort to be able to break out of that tape loop and to, to live purposefully. And so the, the first part that you mentioned, though, Eric, is really so crucial. And that's the, the self-awareness part, is really being aware of how you live your life and the tendencies and the habits that you have. And I'd love to know right off the bat, what are some things that you do to be more self-aware in your own life? Um,
0: I think that... I mean, the doing the podcast for me is one of them uh, because I am every week I'm talking to somebody about topics of this nature, and I'm usually preparing all week for the guests, and so my head is sort of in this space a lot, which which is helpful. Um, so I think that's one. Uh, meditation is another thing that I have found to be enormously helpful to me. And then some form of self-reflection, whether that be journaling, whether that just be a habit of kind of consistently looking back over your day or over your experiences and going, okay, uh, what was that? And then the other one that I, I use, probably not as often as I should, but I sit down and I look at all the roles in my life that I play. You know, father, podcast host, uh, e-commerce consultant, brother, son. You know, I look at all the roles that I play and I try and look at, am I am I devoting enough time to each of those things? And some of them I'll look at and I'll go, yep, that's pretty much, that's going great. Oh, I've been neglecting that, you know. Maybe I haven't been... Um, maybe I haven't been a great son lately. So then what I'll do is I'll put into some of my daily planning or the things that I try and do, you know, very regularly, maybe insert one of those things. So when I, you know, there's been periods of life where I do that every week and that is a really powerful practice. I would not say that I do it that often now, but I still do it semi-regularly and I think it's kind of a it's kind of a, a thing that's sunk into my head to some degree. A lot of these practices, if we do them consistently long enough, often enough, they start out very tedious and feeling yeah. very laborious and, and very forced. And eventually, it just works its way into your system or into my system.
1: Yeah, I love that concept of sort of looking at all the roles that you play. Um, that's a great way to check in with yourself and a great way to take stock of where your life is and where you want it to go. And, uh, you know, if you're not if you're not there in those places or you're spending too much time or energy in one particular area um, of your life. And so what do you do then, Eric, if you, you're, you're taking stock of these things, you're looking at those roles and you find that you're out of balance?
0: Um, I think that I I then look at how can I change the balance of that in my life um, moving forward. And so I, I, use, uh, I use an application called Coach.me that tracks like things that I think are important for me to do. Um, you know, I track whether I'm meditating every day. I track whether I'm exercising every day. I have um, things in there about doing gratitude, about connecting with friends, about... Um, I used to have something in there about reading something inspiring, which is not a problem
1: anymore. Um, <laughs> hey, you have quite the read- extensive reading list. <laughs> oh,
0: yes, it's and it's just... It's a, uh, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, because I'm, I'm very diligent about, about preparation, and so it's just takes a lot of time. But so I use that app, app to just sort of track things daily. So for example, if I had said that one of the thing, if I looked at one of the roles and said, oh, I'm not being a good son, and I need to spend more time talking to my mom, I would put, you know, talking to my mom on that list, and then every day when I look at that list, I would see it. Now that's not saying I'm going to do it every day, but. It gives me a mechanism to sort of see, am I doing things? I have found once I started actually tracking things like that using you know you can use a calendar you can use a piece of paper you can use an app like coach.me there's another one out there very simple called joe's goals that i love but once i started tracking that it was very that was one of the things for me that made being consistent with these things a lot better and also allowed me to be off of autopilot a little bit more and i think the last piece and i'm kind of going on a a long spiel here would be just to spend time thinking about how I spend my time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's very meta. <laughs> spend, yes. Spend time thinking about <laughs> how you spend time. <laughs> I like that. Exactly. Though. But just
0: thinking back and looking at, okay, over the last, you know, week, what, where, where, you know, not, I, I don't get to the point where I track every hour, yeah. but I try and look at it and go, okay, what, what did the last week look like? What where did my time go? Where's my time generally going on a daily basis? And, and that is, as uh, Annie Dillard said, you know, the way you the way you spend um, a day is the way you spend your life. I mean, it, I, I didn't get that exactly right, but
1: no, well, the, the the point is there. The yeah, the basic
0: idea is it's these you know it's these little moments. It's the day by day. How am I? What am I doing today? What am I doing tomorrow? That all adds up over time. And so if we take, my experience is if I take care of that, a lot of the bigger things work themselves out.
1: Yeah. And you also mentioned something as you were talking about uh, how you go about being more self-aware in your own life that we, we talked about on our run table last time, and which is such a big thing for both of us, it's meditation. And for me, uh, in, in talking about tracking devices, um, I use a fantastic app called Insight Timer. That our, our friend Casey, who was also a guest on that roundtable, introduced me to nearly two years ago. And uh, I just passed my 500 days using Inside Timer, which is kind of a fun little, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag or anything because like, ooh, look at me, I'm a meditation superstar because I'm certainly not. But uh, it's just been an invaluable tool for me because having this thing that I, that I can check in with every day, I log on, I start my meditation and, and, and it's fun to see the statistics. It's fun to say, okay, you know, you've reached you know, 30 days in a row, or you've been using Insight Timer for 500 days or whatever. And I, I like having that as a barometer for me to be able to look back and say, okay, I'm doing great, or you know what, I've, I'm, I'm off the wagon a little bit here. Um, you know, I, I'd like to be more diligent there. I'd like to miss fewer days.
0: Yeah. I love, I love insight timer. I think it's really great. I, my problem is that I don't always, like I went through a period of time where I was using headspace, um, or some other meditation thing, So I didn't always put everything in it. So coach.me is the one where I track, but yeah, I love to go into, you know, just an insight timer alone. There's something like, you know, 150 hours of meditation, which is just like, wow, Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just a believer in accountability, I think is helpful. And, um, Self accountability can be helpful if you if you put some of those things in place. It just helps me to see it.
1: Yeah, well, that's excellent. So, Eric, I know I don't know if you've tried to to discern this in your own show um, and how many episodes you've done uh, on the one you feed, but you know, in life on purpose and my previous show, Radio Enzo, I'm I'm at about 185 episodes, I think, and over the course of that time, four and a half years. I've tried to discern what are the commonalities of my guests because they're all over the place. You know, They're a very wide swath topically of the different things that we talk about. And, and it's always under the umbrella of purposeful living, uh, having a purposeful life, or my old show was about what I called conscious living. It's very similar. But people that did a lot of different things and they were on the show for a wide variety of reasons. And what I found interesting, and, and this is holding up now over time since I first made this, um, since I, I was f- first able to discern this and this sort of came to my consciousness was that the two common threads in almost every one of my guests was, number one, travel had some important, uh, uh, it was important in every one of my guests' life in some way, shape, or form as a motivator or as something that changed their life or broadened their perspective. And almost every one of them meditated in some way, shape, or form. And I would have not predicted that. And yet that's been a common a theme going on and I'm always fascinated, especially when there are people that aren't obvious meditators. They don't talk about it publicly or they don't sort of like, Hey, look at me. I meditate. And uh, have, have you found anything similar? Have you, have you thought about that?
0: Um, I have, I think that um, uh, certainly a lot of people that have been on the show have been, have been meditators. I think one of the other key things I've seen in the people that are on the show is that they have the ability to not let their mood dictate all their behavior, I would say that might be one overriding feature hmm. i 've seen in successful people is not that they don 't have moods, not that they don't often they're, you know they wrestle with depression or, or other things, um, not that they don 't feel emotions and have emotions, but the emotions don 't become the the guiding um, the, guiding a lot of their behavior, it yeah. seems like the, the a lot of the people that I think I admire the most and the most successful find some place between indulging and repressing emotion. Hmm. They find a, they find a sweet spot in there.
1: So they're they're pausing before they react. They're not just reacting to the world as it happens around them. I, yeah, I think
0: that's I think that's certainly part of it, and I think they're also able to look at it and go, I feel like X or Y but the right thing for me to do is Z and they have a way to, to then go and do Z um, without, you know, because the opposite extreme is you just go into full on repression mode where it's like you just, you don't ever, you know, the no emotion gets in and I don't, right. you know, I'm just, it's all logic it's all just, and that's not the, the healthy point either, it seems the people that certainly that I admire are the ones that find that middle ground where they're able to experience their emotions but they're also, their life isn't run by them
1: so how do they do that? Um well, <laughs> <laughs> that's a broad question, I know. We yeah, probably have yeah. a, you know, hour-long discussion on how that is, but you know, in, in your own life, how have you been able to do that or what are some things that you've been able to to discern yeah. from your guests who talk about that?
0: I think there's, you know, I think there's a few things I think that and this is why you know, meditation features into this. It's a way of getting better at doing this, but being able to get some separation from thoughts and emotions and to recognize that I am not the thought and I am not the emotion. They might be very strong. They might be there. I'm feeling them, but that's not the only thing. And to be able to get just enough distance from that, um, I think helps an awful lot with with that. Um, and then I think another one for me is to be able to reference back to what's what's really important and and call on that in the moments where things are difficult so i'll give you you know an example would be um I decide that I want an exercise program. It's really important to me. And, you know, it's something I think about and I plan. And, and uh, you know, kind of the higher me thinks that's a great idea. The wise me thinks that's a good idea. Right. But now it's Thursday afternoon and I'm sitting on the couch and – um I don't feel like exercising. And that distinction for me is a big one because a lot of times we'll say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. And the reality is that there was a part of us that does want to do it. It's that part of us that says, I do want, to exercise this this higher self, this wiser part of me said, "I want to do this." It's that I don't feel like it right now, and then I'm like, "Well, that's just a mood, and moods pass." And I and and then going back to, "Well, what did the what did the wiser part of me think?" Um, yeah. But I think a lot of that is simple learning to. Give yourself sort of a, you know, this, for lack of a better word, a command and then follow through on it. I think that's a muscle to a certain degree. I think the ability to say, I'm going to do X and then do it is, um, is sort of a, I-, I compare it to, to a muscle. And so for a lot of us, we don't, that muscle is very, very weak. And so the way to build that muscle is to start very small and slowly but surely, you know, make commitments to yourself and keep them. And as, as that progresses, we start to get some momentum, we start to believe in ourselves again, we start to, there's a feeling of inner congruence, inner rightness, I think, between when we say, I want to do X, and then we do it. And so, I think it's building that muscle, and the people that I know that are successful, that muscle is pretty well developed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the old, uh, you know, the, the the neurons that fire together, wire together. <laughs> A, a bit of, of cliche, but uh, true. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah it, it is absolutely true. And I I totally believe it's a trainable thing. I mean, I was at one point a, you know, destitute heroin addict. Um, so you you can't have much less self-control than I've had at a couple points in my life. So I do believe that these are skills that you can learn and practice. And I think that a lot of us get hung up on things like, well, I'm just the kind of person that doesn't, I'm the kind of person that doesn't follow through on things, or I'm the kind of person that just isn't disciplined. And I don't think that's really true. I think those are skills and things that we can learn. I don't think they're personality um, or character defects necessarily.
1: Yeah. As if we were hardwired one way or the other. Yeah. And and there are stories that we tell ourselves based on our past experience, our past conditions, our past emotions. You know, and I think that I think we talked about this in the roundtable. The, these stories that, that that present themselves at times, and we can either attach to the story, or we could recognize, hey, you know, that's a story, and uh, I can get beyond that story, or I can rewrite the story, or I can change the story. And right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I I think that story element is really crucial. Just having that recognition and being cognizant of the fact that it is indeed a story, and it's not just it's it, it's not a uh, it's not something that's hardwired.
0: Yeah. We're making a lot of it up. A lot of our interpretation in the world, some people would say all of our interpretation is coming through some sort of filter or frame or lens. And so if the, when we can learn to work with that filter or lens, then life really, you know, that's such a critical skill. I think in, you know, when I want to talk about living a life that's worth living. That is one of the hugest ones is to be able to learn to work with that filter. Um, yeah and yeah. adjust it to in adjust it in ways that that serve us well
1: yeah because you know it's another getting back to some of the science part of it that we, you know referencing what we talked about earlier you know living on autopilot a certain percentage of the time scientists also believe that we filter out somewhere between 95 and 99% of all stimuli we have to by necessity yep. we can't yep. our brain simply can't handle all the stimuli and so as you said if we've got this filter we can change the filter we can adjust the filter we can move the filter so if we're only pulling in you know 2 3 5% over here we can shift the filter to be pulling in a different percentage we can we can from an intentional standpoint we can put our attention elsewhere and it's going to bring different results and it's going to in the end it's going to build a different life for us it's going to create a different life for us
0: yeah, I've been reading a guy, a Buddhist teacher, uh, we're going to talk to him here in the near future. And he said, you know, he's talking about Buddhist psychology. And in certain schools of Buddhist psychology, thought is considered a sixth sense. It's a it's a sense that you either can, that you learn to either pay attention to or not pay attention to. Same thing with sort of sound or sight, right? You, you might focus on seeing and that comes very clearly into awareness and then you might turn your awareness to hearing and so now you're hearing things more or put your awareness in your you know in your right foot and now you notice what's happening with your right foot it's that ability to move that awareness around that I think is is so helpful and you know that whole that whole story-based narrative all the things that are going on in our head that we tell ourselves that is about all we're aware of most of the time at least me you know when I'm not being careful I am there's just a constant inner monologue that is like hooked up to like Eric thermostat. Like, how's it going? (laughs) How's Eric doing? Is it warm enough? Is it cold enough? Do I feel this? Do I feel, you know, it's just this. And, and learning to unhook from that, that's the term this guy uses learning to unhook from that and, and move your attention to other parts, other things is, is a really powerful skill.
1: I love that. I've never heard it framed quite like that before. That it's the thought being a sixth sense and something you can either choose to pay attention to or not. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's not easy, right? I no, mean, obviously, it's certainly not easy.
1: You but know, I, we've I, got uh, lots yeah, but, of
0: years of listening to that, to believing that voice, but it is possible.
1: Yeah, and for me, what made all of this make sense for me at some level, and it's still a great mystery, and I'll never, you know, spend the rest of my life never really quite figuring it out, but it's, I remember hearing a number of years back that, okay, you've got a thought and you're noticing that you've got a thought. Who's the one doing the noticing, right? That's it. That changed everything for me hearing that and, and sort of grasping that even in a very small level, (laughs) it's like, wow. Okay. Well, there's the thought who's noticing the thought that just, that that was a huge shift for me.
0: Yeah. And it's one of those things that's an exercise that we can do often. You know, the more, you know, one of the things that I try and do talk about living life, you know, life on purpose and all that, Yeah, and, and not be on auto- autopilot is I try and stop as often as I can remember to and sort of ask myself, like, where am I? What am I doing? And why? Like what you know, just that sort of like come right back into the moment. Where am I? I'm sitting at my desk in front of a computer and I'm talking to Greg. You know, (laughs) what am I? You know, what, where am I? What am I doing and why? And that's a great way to a practice mindfulness and practice being in the moment, as well as think about am I using my time in the way I want? Why am I doing what I'm doing?
1: Wow, Eric, that would make a fantastic app, by the way. I would, that. I would, I would have that on my iPhone, or buy like an Apple Watch, and, and have that pop up, you know, every so often, so that I, I have that reminder.
0: Like, that's this. a great idea. Maybe I should do that.
1: <laughs> I just want a small cut. All right. <laughs> if you make your fortune through that app, I just, uh, you know, I'd like a finder's fee or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a brilliant idea. I, I love that. So Eric, you mentioned uh, a while back that, uh, well, you, you didn't tell me a time frame, but I know from your biography that you know 20 years ago, your life was radically different than what it is now, uh, that you were on drugs, you were homeless, you were in a very different place in your life. And I'd love to go back in the Wayback Machine, um, starting even before that, and, and find out how you got to that point. So where were you born? Where did you grow up?
0: I was born here in Columbus, Ohio and I grew up here. Um I was gone for a few years, uh you know, in my early, you know, late teens, early 20s, but most of my life has been right here.
1: And did you have a happy childhood?
0: I don't think so. Um Why is that? I don't, you know, I I could certainly look at um, you know, My, you know, my parents and their parenting style, and you know, my mother uh, has wrestled with depression all her life. Um, So I come by it, you know, a little bit naturally.
1: Yeah, that's that's not an insignificant point. Um, Yeah, you know, my my wife struggles with anxiety and and different things, and uh, you know, and. uh, biologically, uh, she would say that, you know, some of that comes from her mother, you know, when she was in the womb, yep. her mother was struggling with the same things and that at a, at a neurochemical level, that's transmitted from a mother to a, a fetus. It's travel, you know, transmitted to an unborn child, you know, yep. the, this, the, the mental, psychological and chemical state of your biological mother.
0: Yep. Yep. I absolutely, you know, I think that came through, um, you know, my parents were not happy together. I mean, so the a lot of the, the usual things I, I I um I've examined all that stuff in great detail. Not really, you know, I don't have any blame towards them. I think they were doing the very best they can and my son will probably look back at me someday and go, Well, he was doing the best he could and you know, <laughs> right. he knows what we could all I'm say screw- that right. Yeah, what way I'm screwing him up right now. I don't know. Um, but I know that from a very early age as a child that I was um I was just an odd kid. I used to sit and pick at the wallpaper at the wall for hours. And just like um, I was a kleptomaniac, like hardcore thief by the time I was like nine years old. Um, I was just always in trouble. I couldn't even tell you why or looking back on it. I don't have a ton of memories from it, but I was not a well-adjusted child. So um, I did not have, I think, a very happy childhood.
1: What did a young Eric want to do when you grew up? I don't know. Did you I have any sense to okay as I grow older this is uh, something that interests me this is what I want to do with my life? Uh, did you know where you were heading let's say when you were in no. you know high school for instance?
0: No. Um nope. Um high school was a uh, interesting adventure for me. It's kind of the tale of two two lives. The first couple years of high school were a disaster. Um I just my I just never went to class. I never wanted to go to class. And so I was always in trouble and I was always trying to find a way to be excused from class. And after my sophomore year, my guidance counselor said, like, we're not not going to go through another year of this. You can either go to this thing we have called the alternative program or... I'm going to just expel you, but I'm not going to chase you for another whole year. And so I very grudgingly went to this thing called the alternative program, which was a informal learning environment, very small school, about 160 students that completely changed my life. Hmm, How so? Um, I think that the informal learning style is really very much like, let's find out what the individual finds interesting. And then let's use that to educate them. Oh, let's, great. you know, let's do that. Let's work on critical thinking. Let's work on how you think it's, it's just a very different approach to education than the, the usual. I'm going to lecture at you until you take this thing in. And, and so after a few months of being there, I ended up starting a nonprofit tutoring program for inner city children. Um, I started a scholarship fund for them. So I just, my last two years of high school, I completely flourished. Um, I was doing, you know, it was certainly one of the best points, certainly the best point um, of my life up to then. I mean, I think it was the couple of years where I was really pretty happy and content. And I think I learned a lot, of, you know, I learned a lot about myself. I didn't recognize it until later, but I think I learned a lot about what makes me happy and content during that time. I think I found a formula that, that had, that worked to some degree during that point, um, but then the wheels kind of came off the train. I had, um, as I was doing that, I, I, noticed what alcohol and drugs were doing to all these kids lives. I mean, their lives were ruined by the, by the alcoholism and drug addiction in their families. And so, um, I pretty much said no more, I'm not doing any drugs. I'm not doing any alcohol. Um, and I did that through certainly the last two years of high school, very much, um, anti that. And, um, After my senior year in high school, I went traveling for a while. I spent a summer uh, in L.A. I spent several months off the coast of Seattle. I just kind of took a train across the country. Just kind of went out and
1: there, there, there's the travel part. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. All right, I can Um, check that one off of this episode now. Travel meditation, check, check.
0: Yep, I haven't done as much of it as I would I would like, but maybe everybody would say that. but i came back from that time and my girlfriend was dating my best friend um who both were also involved in this organization with me and i just had no skills to cope with that at all and uh somebody one day said do you want to take a drink and i was just at the point where i was like i don't don't care and i took a drink and kind of everything changed in that moment i think i was for whatever reason, I was primed for what happened when I took that drink because I was very rarely not under the effect of some chemical or other, you know, 24 hours a day for the next, you know, seven years. Wow. I kind of just was off. I, I found it. I I immediately was like, wow, I feel like me. Um, and so I was off to the races and that went from alcohol to you know to marijuana to other drugs, and eventually landed me as a heroin addict um, twenty four years old as you said I was homeless i was li- i had a I was living in the back of a van um, that the re- the restaurant owner that I worked at let me sleep in wow. um, he didn 't know I was sleeping in it um, but i had- ac- you know I had access to the keys and And I, you know, had gotten, I just had been arrested. I had a lot of jail time potentially hanging over my head and, um, ended up walking into treatment and getting sober.
1: So Eric, in that point of your life, was there a low, uh, sort of a low point, the lowest of the low was, (laughs) was your life ever in danger?
0: Oh, I think my life was in danger a lot. Um, I mean, from a health perspective, it was in danger. I, I weighed, uh, about 110 pounds. I had hepatitis C. Wow. Um, I mean, I was really sick. Um, my life was in danger a lot because I was, you know, traveling. You know, I, I lived on the East Coast for a while. I made a, I made an attempt to get away from doing drugs by moving to a small ocean town in Connecticut. But it didn't take me very long to find a car and then find a rot. You know, get into the inner city, and I was just going into really bad neighborhoods where a skinny white kid like me should probably just not be hanging out. Um, you know, there were lots of situations where I went into houses and t- I just a lot of stuff that I look back on, I'm like, what on earth could I have been thinking? Um, so I think I I spent a lot of time in, in um, danger. I don't know if there's a particular
1: low. I mean, I think... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a cumulative low, what you're describing. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. it sounds like over time, that just doesn't sound like a very... Uh, I mean, it's not a sustainable existence.
0: Oh, it's, no, it's not. And it's, you know, the thing that I've said before is it's amazing to me how hard I clung to such a shitty life. You know, like how hard I just kept trying to to make that work. And when I finally went into treatment to get sober, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't like I decided I wanted to, I was going to get my life together. I just was out of ideas. I did not I knew I was going to be incredibly dope sick. I, you know, the van that I'd been living in was gone. I was, you know, I had just suddenly I was, you know, had a court date coming up. I mean, just everything fell apart in a life that was already pretty well fallen apart and I was just too tired to sort it out. So I said, I guess, you know, I can go to treatment. I had gone once before and it didn't work, but, you know, this time it was
1: different. And so what worked for you? What was, what were the steps that you started taking to get your life back on track?
0: Um, I went to treatment and I stayed in treatment for a long time. Um, every time they said, we think you should do X. I just said, okay. Originally I remember I was in, in detox, you know, detox is like, you know, five day type thing. And, uh, it's, it's what it sounds like. It's simply to get you past that, um, You know, coming off the chemical period. Yeah, and they said we think you should go into our twenty-eight day treatment program, and I said no, I don't think that's a good idea. And um, and then I went back to my room, and I just had one of those you know in recovery they call them a moment of clarity, um, where I just realized like I'm gonna die if I go back out there. Like I just knew that. It wouldn't work, so I said to them, "Okay, I'll go." You know, and I went to the 28-day treatment, and then they said, "We think you should go to six-month treatment after this." And I said, "Okay." Um, I didn't want to, and there's a lot. I mean, I could you know go into great detail about all these things, but the essence of it was I think that I just sort of gave in and started doing what I was told would help me to get sober, and I just did it um, with with a real intensity. I think that once I got a little bit of clean time under my belt, just even in treatment. And once I started to come out of the fog, just a hair and I was involved in 12 step recovery. And I just started seeing people who's who would talk about living a life just like mine. Yeah. And I would see them and they would be living a life that was very different. And I, it gave me just enough like, okay. And they were like, if you do what I did, you can get here. And, and, um, I think that part of me, that part of me that, you know, formed a a tutoring program for inner city kids or the started to wake up again and say, wait a minute, like I, I want out. It's not like I didn't want out, you know, periodically over that whole seven year period. I mean, when you get to the point i get to all 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 junkies do is get high and talk about how they're going to stop getting high until you're not high anymore then you get high again and then you talk about what a crappy life it is and how you're going to stop and yeah, so yeah
1: i mean it's maslow's hierarchy of needs when you're you know on the pyramid you're at the part where <laughs> where you know food and shelter are your prime directives Um, it's tough to even think about anything else. You know, it's what inner city students, you know, from, uh, poverty environments deal with, you know, when, when when they don't know where lunch is going to come from, where dinner is going to come from that night, if the heat's going to be on when they get home, you know, test scores aren't really a priority for them. Yeah. It's very hard.
0: Yep. And so that was what, you know, that was what happened. I, um, I, you know, basically I think it was 12 step recovery that, that worked for me, um, I did drink again after about eight years sober. I went out and drank for a couple years, and I've been back about eight and a half years.
1: Oh, well, congratulations! And Thanks. so, at some point, Eric, was there this notion in? Did you think at some point, like, wow, you know what? I've been able to pull myself from this point way down here to where I am now. Maybe you know, getting back to those roots that you planted in high school, those seeds that you planted. Um, I can help other people do the same in some way, shape, or form.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I think a big part of, of recovery in a 12 step program is really the idea that there's a, um, that there is both a responsibility and a real, um, enjoyment for helping other people, uh, get through what you've gone through. Um, you know, It's that working with other people who have the same problem that actually, I think, contributes to contented sobriety about as much as anything. It's one of the big things, is that idea of helping other people. I do it a little bit differently now. Um, yeah, It's more through the show and stuff, but yeah, that's a definite – and that's why I was going to say one of the things I think I learned about myself in that period in high school was that I am really happy when I am building something. You know, when I'm I'm creating something, I'm really happy when that that whole process of. And I was in startup companies for years after I got my life together because I love that whole process. And I and I love so I love that process. And I love when it matters, like when what you're doing with it actually matters. And when I have both of those things, I'm 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 in it. You know, I'm in a pretty good spot for myself.
1: Yeah, and I think many of us go through a period when. The building something is the priority, and it doesn't really matter what we're building. We sort of, you know, we're energized, we're, we're excited by this building thing. And mm-hmm. it, can, it can be, mm-hmm. it can be, you know, spacely sprockets, it can be whatever. We're building something. Um, and then at some point in our life, uh, oftentimes around our middle age, we hit a point where it's got to matter. It's got to mean something. You know, I can't just build anything. I can't just make a widget for somebody and get paid for it and be content for that anymore. And so, um, you know, Wayne Dyer famously wrote about that and, and made a movie about it from ambition to meaning. Um, and, and so was, was there a similar shift for you? Were you making things that maybe at the time you were satisfied with? And then looking back, you're like, yeah, that was, that was cool. I made those things. But what does it really matter?
0: I think to some degree. I mean, I had meaning in my life all through that time because I was very involved in recovery and helping other people. And you know, I probably sponsored a hundred people over the years. So I spent a lot. I, I had that meaning, and then there was the work side of it. But yeah, when I I started a solar company in 2008, and I think that was my first attempt to really bring the two things together, bring my work together with um, the things that were important to me in life. Now it there's a a lot of reasons why I didn't quite get that right. Um, But that was my first attempt at it. And I think the show now is the... And the associated things that have been flowing out of it is that is that second iteration of where I really locked into like here's the thing that I love doing here's the thing I'm naturally interested in here's the thing that I think is important and here's the th- and I see how I can build it into something and so I think that's been a progression for me yeah
1: yeah it all sort of dovetailed together so let's segue over to the show then how did you get to the point in your life where you thought you know what I want to start a podcast well how does that work <laughs> for you
0: <laughs> uh, um. It happened. So I started the solar energy company, and we had a few really good years, and um, and then the political climate in Ohio changed on us. And solar energy is a very politically um, it 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 depends on political support to a certain degree. It's getting better, but yeah. you know it's still it's still slowly getting there. Um, and so after about five years of that you know, I spent as, you know, I ended up spending as much time testifying in Senate hearings as I did chasing customers. And I just eventually went like, this isn't it. Like I do think it's important. I think energy is an important issue, but I don't think it's my issue. Um, and so I finally said, well, I, okay, I don't think I want to keep doing this anymore. And what I started to do though, is I thought I'm just going to build an online course for developing solar energy projects. There's a lot of very complicated, um, financial things. And it's, you know, it's a lot more about the money and the deal structure and all that than it is about the solar. The solar is a pretty simple technology. So I decided I wanted to build an online course to do that. And, um, so I started getting interested in how do you, how do you have a business that's online? Cause my, you know, the solar company was the exact opposite. It was, you need to raise huge amounts of capital. You know, the solar projects going to take $10 million. Um, and so you got to bring investors in. And then if you it was just, it was a lot. It was very, very capital intensive. And so suddenly, once I started looking into that online course, the idea of the opposite of that, that suddenly really appealed to me like, wait, I could just do this. Like, I don't need anything. I don't need another person. I don't need like, I just, I, that sort of appealed to me. And then as that went on, so I learned about podcasting and I learned about blogging and I learned about I just got more deep into that world and at some point I decided I didn't want to do I didn't even want to build a course for the solar energy thing it just it had kind of fizzled out for me and so I don't know where the idea came from I don't know if I thought I'd like to do a podcast and what's the idea going to be or what I remember is just getting this idea to start a podcast called The One You Feed and use that parable and do it with my best friend Chris um, because it would be fun to do and we could spend more time together and I needed help staying off of autopilot. And so I just remember the idea kind of coming and I called him and we met for dinner the next night and just sort of started. So there wasn't a lot of contemplation. There was no real... Planning about it, Um, I didn't. I didn't quit doing. um, You know, I do. I do some commerce or some e-commerce consulting work. I didn't quit doing that. Um, I still do some of it. The balance changes how much of that I do versus how much of the show I do. But I didn't just. You know throw everything away but as is my tendency you know I started a solar energy company kind of in the same way like I think I want to do that you know and I started a nonprofit tutoring program in the same way like I kind of want to do that and I just start it and um and so that's kind of how this happened it was an idea and I I thought let's let's start and we and, and and as I started and as we as we progressed I went oh I think there is something here I think I do want to do this you know I learned more about it and the more I learned the more I wanted to learn
1: Yeah. Well, excellent. And so I'd love to know uh, where you first came to hear the parable of the two wolves and tell people what that is, because there are listeners that I'm sure don't know the parable.
0: Yeah. So the parable is, um, there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second and he looks up at his grandfather and he says, "Well, grandfather, which one wins?" And the grandfather says, "The one you feed." So that's the parable. Um, I first came across it in recovery, and you know, looking at it from the perspective of an addict or alcoholic, it's an incredibly um, powerful parable. It it makes a ton of sense, and it's very life or death. And your bad wolf is a real he's a real bad dude in those cases. Yeah. Um, so that's where I came across it and just kind of always stuck with me. And like a good parable does, I think it conveys a lot in, you know, in a few short sentences, like you immediately get it and you're like, Oh yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) and so
0: it was very, it was a very powerful thing for me when I heard it and it kind of always stuck with me. And, uh, like I said, I don't quite, like most ideas, I don't really know where it came from to make a show about it. It just sort of showed up that way.
1: Oh, that's excellent. I love that it just bubbled up that way. And so I'm sure when you look back at your own life, you thought, well, you know, there were times in my own life where I fed the good wolf, and there are times in my own life when I fed the bad wolf.
0: Oh, yeah, and rather uh, rather, extremely in both cases.
1: Uh, voraciously, um, probably. Yes, yeah. yes. Indeed, and so yeah, and, and uh, for me, you know, having a simple tagline, having something simple that can explain the the sort of umbrella, if you will, under which your show operates, is really crucial. It's why one of the main reasons why I rebranded my own show because nobody knew what an Enzo was. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> it's like Enzo, what? What is that? What does that mean? And it was too long-winded of an explanation. Like, okay, life on purpose. People can figure. Yes, that. People that, can. That's. F- people can figure that one out. That's pretty straightforward. It is. And so how does one go from this idea that, oh, I'm going to start a podcast, we're going to give this a try, okay, hey, this is pretty good, I like this, I'm I'm learning uh, from my guest, um, to, hey, we're the the number one ranked podcast in three different categories in iTunes, and Huffington Post calls you one of the best podcasts in the health category of all time. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I don't, you know, I think some of it is luck. Um, I think some of it is um I say the luck thing not not you know not disingenuously, I think there are a lot of great shows out there. Your show being an example of it, so f- bubbling up out of that and getting picked for some of those things is. Is certainly, I think, to a certain degree, luck. Um, It's just that somebody happens to, you know, in my case, it was somebody who worked at Apple in the podcast place for whatever reason decided to listen to it and really liked it, and um, you know, they were a support to us. And and so, like I said, I'm not under the illusion that there's not a lot of other good shows, but having a good show is a prerequisite. So, I mean, I think the thing that I think the success success like that in the external world being named this or named that is you know you do your best with that and then kind of what happens happens you can't control it much yeah. what you can control is making a show that you feel good about you can put everything you have into making something that is great. And, and, you know, Jonathan Fields, who we, you know, we met at the camp that he puts on, he has, yeah. you know, a line along the lines of, you know, there's no better marketing than making a kick-ass product.
1: Um, <laughs> that is absolutely true.
0: And, and so that's where, you know, that was really my, was and is my main focus was I want to make the show good. So if I have to make a decision between marketing and content, I'm going to focus on the content. Um, and, and the reason I did it was not to Um, become, you know, named as one of the best of 2014 podcasts on iTunes. Not not that I'm not thrilled by that. Not that I don't love the success of the show. Not that I didn't have some secret hope that maybe that would happen. But I was very aware that it was probably more likely than not that it would not, that sort of thing would not happen. But that the thing that I was doing, I wanted to do. I yeah. wanted to make this show. I that, wanted to spend time with Chris. I wanted to talk to these people. I wanted to read these books. Um,
1: I, and that I, I couldn't agree more. That, that, yeah. That's why I do my show. I, I feel like I should pay my guests. I should send them a check every week. And I feel <laughs> like I'm going to some sort of uh, you know it's some sort of life class, life university or something. Each week, I'm learning something from every one of my guests. And yep. and, and and you know I, what I found is that. This is a topic that's come up quite a bit on my show over time. Is that, and, I, and I've really come to believe this axiom is that we do the work. We, we teach that thing that we most need to learn ourselves.
0: Oh, I I agree. We had a guest on his name's Justin Sullivan. He's in a band called New Model Army. Kind of a
1: <laughs> I love New Model Army. Thunder oh. and Con- I have I have Thunder and Consolation, like sitting Best. right over here on on my shelf one of the best records ever made. It is one but, of the best. We have very similar musical tastes, yeah, by the way. We'll, so, we'll but get to later, that in a second. Yeah,
0: in a later song, he has a line. I don't remember what album it is, but he has a line that, you know, it's uh, always the ones who need saved to do most of the saving. And, you know, that's the same thing. You know, you teach what you need to learn. Yeah. I right. started the show because I needed it. You know, I needed, um, I needed to f- help feeding my good wolf and staying on the right track.
1: And I still do. Um, yeah. So what have, when you look back at your show, I mean, have you thought about, hmm, what, what have I learned from the show? What have I picked up from the guests? What do you learn from each person that comes on the show?
0: You know, I, learning is an interesting word because it's very rare that anybody comes on and says something that I don't kind of know. I mean, a lot of this personal development, spiritual stuff is not that complicated, right? There are, you know, there's some basic principles to it. Um, so I think what I get is I just get reminded again and again to, to work on this thing or to focus on this thing, or I hear something in a slightly different way that drives it deeper into my, you know, consciousness. Um, so I think that I, there haven't been a ton of times where I've been like completely blown away. Um, but it's more of a gradual, I keep, I keep trying to re, you know, I keep trying to hear the same themes. Um, I mean, there's been a couple though. Um, we had a guy on named David K. Reynolds who wrote a book called Constructive Living. Um, he took a lot of his philosophy from the Japanese psychologist uh, Marita but he the book Constructive Living is about how do you live in in um you know how do you live constructively and it's very similar to what we talked about earlier you yeah. you have a feeling you recognize you're having the feeling um you come back to what your purpose is um you accept that feeling you come back to what your purpose is you do the next right thing it's very simple but one of the things he said was that when you have your behavior in control you don't have to be afraid of your feelings. And that really kind of blew me away because for a lot of my life, my behavior was not in control. You know, when we talked earlier, my behavior drove my, or my moods drove my behavior in a lot of cases.
1: Did that lead you at some point to then repress that or repress your behavior yeah. out of fear yeah. of what it would do if it came out?
0: I think it led me to repress my moods. I was afraid of having certain feelings because those feelings would lead me into very destructive places. Um, and when he said that, it really hit me that, like, as I have, as I now know myself much better, and I'm not likely to go off on a bender next week because I'm in a bad mood. Um, I'm not likely to not go to work for three days because I'm depressed. I'm, I'm gonna, I've got enough history at this point and enough um, internal fortitude for the most part that I kind of keep walking. Yeah. And so now I don't have to be afraid of emotion. I can I can wander into that territory a little bit more comfortably than um I think I used to because I was, you know, trying to maybe get rid of it via drugs or alcohol, um, you know, repressing it, working too hard, all those things. And I think that that was one thing that, you know, really sticks out to me from the show where I where I kind of really went, never thought of that. I'm sure there's a lot of others that are just not coming to mind.
1: No. So when you were saying reminding versus learning, I was like waving my hands wildly in the air. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was just like, yes, that's it for me. As you said, it's not a new learning thing, you know, for me oftentimes, but it's remember, forget, remember, forget, remember, that's forget. Right. And that's the human condition. Yep. We remember and then we forget. And I need to be, and I feel like... Uh, You know, I I haven't watched it in years, but in the early years, I was a big Simpsons fan. I used to watch The Simpsons all the time in the sort of late 80s, early 90s when it came on. I remember there was a Simpsons where Homer famously gets sort of hit over the head by a pot over again. It was a very (laughs) cartoonish, Three Stooges-y sort of a moment. And and I I feel like I'm Homer Simpson. I need to be sort of whacked over the head again and again and again. And to remember these things, I'll I'll forget. I remember. I forget I remember.
0: Yeah, and I do not know why... That is the case, but it sure seems to be. I think it's just so much of culturally... That We are just surrounded by a very different world and mentality and approach. And um, it's kind of swimming against the stream to a certain degree, I think.
1: Yeah, there's a very strong pull. It's almost like a magnet that's sort of pulling us in these directions. And uh, you just sort of let yourself be pulled into those things, be sucked into the vortex. Um, You're going to be unconscious. And so that's... Well, and I think
0: the other problem is that like... This idea that it's something out there that will satisfy us is, I think, patently false. The problem is that most of those things do for a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's the key, for a little bit. For a
0: little bit. And so, but for most of us, and myself included sometimes, I don't know how to do it any other way. So that's all I know to reach for. Yeah. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the spiritual path for me is learning to f- build that contentment inside where I don't have to reach for that thing outside or when I reach for it, I'm reaching for it in a different way. It's a, it's a very different, it's kind of like the idea of being an artist because you're driven by pain versus being an artist because you love to create. Those are very different things and they're both ways to make art.
1: Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. And I think that another part of the equation is you sort of reference this is reframing things. Sometimes I'll have an idea or a concept in my head, but I haven't quite framed it or thought about it in a way that uh, helps me really apply it to my life or or sort of gives me the sense of like, oh yeah, that works for me. Like, yeah, I I can understand. I've heard that before, but I never really thought, how is that relevant to me? And so now I have a tool or I have a way to frame something in a way that's now suddenly relevant to my own life. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's why I love great interviews. That's why I love this medium. Cause we're able to have these conversations where I'll hear you say something. Oh yeah. Okay. Constructive living. And you know, okay. And that's, it, it's helping me frame something in, in a new way for me. So, yeah. So before we run out of time, Eric and our hours is flo- flying by, we're almost, uh, almost done here, but we have to talk music because we're both musicians <laughs> and we, you know, we sort of met in the garage. Yes, if you will, the garage band of Camp GLP in 2014. And you had your guitar and I was sitting at a keyboard and uh, our, our buddy Casey was there on bass and... Uh, You know, we had a few of his friends uh, on additional instruments, and uh, we we played some music together in the garage. That was so uh, fun. That was a blast, and I love that you're a guitar player, and and then you have uh, people that I'm big music fans of on this show. You're a big Waterboys fan, for instance, and uh, I've seen the Waterboys live a couple of times. I love Mike Scott and everything he's done, Mike Scott solo and Mike Scott under the auspices of the Waterboys. And uh, I love the fact that you're able to incorporate that element as something that you're passionate about and you like. You had just had Mike Peters of The Alarm, a fan yeah. I was a big fan of uh, back in the 80s. Uh, yeah. So, so how, does, how does music fit into all of this? How does music fit into the one you feed?
0: Well, I think that, you know, I, think, I do think of the show sometimes as a, um, it's a reflection of me to a certain degree. Like what matters to me and what am I interested in? And music is one of, the biggest, you know, uh, forces in my life of, I mean, I think, I think that music has as much healing power, as much consoling power as anything in the world, any spiritual practice or meditation. I mean, it's as big a part of what helps me to live a life that's worth living as anything else. And so I've been able to, you know, it's been fun to bring that into the show in two ways. One is um, we try and make two music breaks during each show, and we Chris and I make all that music. And so that's been really fun. To have a way to create music and do something with it um, again has been a great joy. And then the other one, as you've mentioned, is I get artists on who I feel like their music is particularly, particularly helps me feed my good wolf. Not that I just like it. You know, it's not, it's not just that I like the music, it's like, can I find a way to tie that? to the theme. Do I think that they're saying something about how to live a better life? And so the, the artists that I've had on are ones that I think do that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, just sort of scrolling through your recent podcast, and you said, uh, you know, you talked to Mike Peters about marching on in the face of difficulties. I played in a cover band in the mid-80s that covered marching on, one of the, <laughs> one of the alarm songs that, you know, yeah. were big on sort of college radio, alternative radio yeah. at the time. You know, and you mentioned New Model Army, you know, and 51st State of America and Thunder and Consolation. Yeah. And some of my favorite uh, music from that era. It's it's stuff that still I- resonates with me Uh Today, so
0: I wish we lived in the same town so we could play more. Because <laughs> I miss, i I mean that that I am, you know, I do have music back in my life by making it for the show and all that. But what I don't have and I miss is um, just that, like we did in that garage, like yeah. you know, turning it up and playing with a band. Is there's nothing quite like it.
1: No, it's a very visceral experience, and, and yep. something you can't really repeat unless you're in that situation. So we'll we'll have to find a way to make that happen in the future. Yeah. Indeed. And so, um, Eric, before we run out of time here, you also uh, currently, besides doing the podcast and you you write at times, um, you also do some coaching as well, correct?
0: Yeah, I started doing some coaching work. I got asked from a few people on the show and I was a little bit like, I don't know if I should do that. And I finally decided to do it. And as soon as I started doing it, I went, oh, wait a minute. This is very much like sponsoring somebody in a, in a 12 step program. And I've done that, you know, like I said, probably a hundred times. So I suddenly realized I was very comfortable doing it and really liked doing it. And so far, the feedback from clients has been really, really strong. They really, I think are getting a lot out of it.
1: Excellent. And are you taking new people into the program right now? And how does that work? If so?
0: Um, yeah, I am. We are, uh, I've still got, I've got a couple spots open right now, a couple of clients just, um, you know, ended their time, and so if you go to oneyoufeed.net/coaching, you can get the information there. Cool.
1: You said something earlier, Eric, that I just uh, I'd love to sort of as one of my final questions here get an answer from. You said you were talking about, well, I don't know if that's my issue. I mean, you were describing, you know, back doing businesses online and, and finding your way into the podcast. What is your issue these days?
0: I think it's you know how do we how do we live better lives as humans? How do we, you know, how do we live a life that has as much meaning and purpose and contentment and, um, you know, minimize the amount of suffering that we have in lives? I think that's what really matters to me. It's what I've always been interested in. Um, so I think that is my that is my issue.
1: Colin, how do you do that on a daily basis?
0: Uh, I meditate. I talk to people when something's bothering me and I stay close to ideas that remind me that it's not all out there that what's happening inside of me is really the primary way that my life either has meaning or doesn't or has a has a has a feeling that that's what spiritual means to me just that I'm looking inside for things so I try and do things that help me remember that that help me wake up from that trance of um you know it's all about you know, am I good looking enough? Do I have a nice enough car? Do I have a nice enough money? Do I get to travel enough? You know, waking up from that dream that that's where, uh, happiness lies.
1: Yeah. That's excellent. Remember, forget, remember, forget. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Gets back to that. So what's in store for you? What is, what is, uh, what's the next year hold for you and hold for the show? What do you have planned?
0: Um, well, You know, first is just to keep doing the show because we love doing it. We're also starting to work on uh, an online program that will uh, bring some of the things that we're giving people through coaching to a a broader audience. Not everybody can afford to hire a personal coach. I mean, I think I'm extremely reasonably priced, but not everybody can do it. And so I think that, I think there are real, we talked earlier about, there are real skills for how you, um, become the kind of person that can can come up with an idea and follow through and execute it. I think that's very much a skill based thing so I'm working on some training that will help people to do that.
1: Excellent and people can find out more about that as it develops at whenyoufeed.net? Yep exactly. Excellent and uh, you're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, where else can people find you?
0: Yeah, Twitter, uh, at One You Feed, and we're on Facebook. If you search for The One You Feed, you would probably find us. We're not real active there, but Twitter is where we primarily are, and then you know, the website. I mean, I think listening to the show is the main thing.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. Well, Eric, I really, really enjoyed uh, having a long, in-depth conversation with you and getting to learn more about your life and the show and being able to flesh out some of the concepts that we touched on originally in our roundtable. And uh, this has been great, and please keep in touch, and hopefully we can do this again sometime.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's it's great to talk with you. I love, uh, you know, I just love listening to you. have got such a great radio presence that it's just very fun to to talk.
1: Well, thank you very much. And, uh, folks, if you like what you're hearing here, we do this about once a week. It's called Life on Purpose, and you can find out more about the show or listen to additional episodes via the Life on Purpose website at lifeonpurposeshow.com. You can also find us on iTunes, the Stitcher Radio app, or all around the web. Until next week, I'm your host, Greg Berg. Take care.